0: Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website gracelife.com.au. Good morning, and uh, if we haven't yet met, my name is Jean Luc. I'm part of the youth team here at, um, at Grace Life. So if you're a guest for your thousandth time. I don't know what time it is for me. Um, but yeah, welcome. And um, you've actually caught us in, well we're actually in chapter 2 of a series called Galatians. And um, an important letter that one of the church founders actually wrote as he was ministering to non-Jewish people. If You, you, you might have heard the name Paul oh, thrown around a little. And he essentially was one of the first apostles who actually went out into the non-Jewish people, the people that weren't necessarily looked at as we've been chosen by God. And so he went out to them and started to minister to them the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he writes to one of these churches a little while after he's gone in and he's shared the gospel, he's established the church and moved on and he starts to hear stuff that's been going on that there've been people that have come in and they've essentially tried to twist and to turn some of the things that he's spoken to um, to these guys. And so if you if you re- have read and reread and reread the Galatians letter, you will know that he's quite strong. He's not very happy within himself with what's been happening within. He's calling them back to a place where they can Hold what he told them as what he's actually told them to hold it, to not add to it. And he's talking about the gospel. And so we are into the second chapter of this letter. It's been broken up, but it's actually one long conversation. But it gets broken up so that we have an idea about um, a certain section, like you get chapters in books and all that kind of stuff. That's just to help us. Letter, one long conversation. He's trying to bring them back into. That same understanding. So I would like to read the chapter. And um, what, what I would love to ask of all of us is if we can stand when I read this chapter and then we can sit down. We'll, have the, we'll talk about what I uh, sense God is kind of wanting us to hone in on. So why don't we stand uh, for the reading of the word. And so this is Galatians chapter 2. You can follow along. This is the ESV verse. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went out because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running and had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in Husai, To spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they they stood with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, or or, um, non-Jewish people. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, Perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas, Cephas is the Aramaic term for Peter. um, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law Uh, Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. I've always wanted to say that. Let me pray. Father, in your name, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace and, and your truth and your peace. And we ask that whatever you are wanting to say, you would say that, God. We thank you that we cannot come in the way of your Holy Spirit when he wants to do something. And so, Holy Spirit, we to do any of that anyway. We want to let you have your will, your reign, and your way right now in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Um, so, there are some, um, complementary readings, uh, background reading that if you'd like to, you can go to. Um, these are some of the things that I will reference, but also some of the things that add to and comp talking about in the letter of Galatians, specifically what we're going to be honing in on, which is verse 20. So, all those verses, you can feel free to take a picture of that. Um, I only looked at one book, which was the renovation of The Heart by Dallas Willard. It is a very dense book. It's mind-bending, among other things. Um, And uh, it it goes quite in-depth to some of the things that uh, Paul is talking about. However, scriptures will help you to make even more sense of this. So, as we enter the conversation here... Uh, the second half of Galatians where Peter starts to where, where Paul starts to rebuke Peter. What you, what you probably need to know about what's going on here is that for quite a little while, the Jewish people had been chosen as the people of God. and one of the ways that you knew that God um, was seen through your behavior. And so they had a certain diet, a certain things that they would eat certain certain clothing that they would wear as well, and a certain manner of life that they followed after to know this is how the people of God live. One of those as well was that at about eight days old, you would be circumcised if you were a male child. And so, as Jewish people, they, they had that. That was the law, the, the Torah that, were, um, that was set so that they would live in this manner and... That was, in a sense, for them, they turned that into this is how we're going to earn our salvation or we're going to be in God's good books. And for a long time, they tried to live like this. What Jesus comes in and he says to them is that none of you have actually upheld any of the commandments. In fact, he's very strong and and very very oppositionally against the Pharisees or the teachers of the religious law that the jewish people had and he says you guys are hypocrites you're like whitewashed tombs you have on the outside of you you have this appearance management thing that you've got going on but on the inside of you you're full of death you don't actually believe in any of the stuff that you're saying to people you act a certain way you think that in acting that way god is impressed sees your heart And he's not impressed with what you're doing. In fact, you're making it hard for people to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus comes in and is essentially saying it's about the heart. He gives examples like... You heard that it's been said that if you look on a woman, um, that you, if, you, if you commit adultery, um, that, that's against the law. But if you look on a woman with lust, you have committed adultery. If you kill, if you kill such men, but Jesus says, it's if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you have committed murder. And so it's not essentially just the do's and the don'ts. It's actually the heart that God is looking at. And that's the background. And so when Paul receives the message of Jesus and he goes and he takes it to the non-Jewish world, what Jesus has done, he's, he's essentially at all, and now everybody can come in through me. That's what he's done. And so Peter gets caught up in this weird little thing that is happening where Jewish people... And, and there are certain speculations about this, but where certain Jewish people are, are going, oh, you identified with Jesus, and maybe this is the way that God is wanting to bring about this new messianic age. And so they try to bring back the past, the old way of living, the old way of being, trying to earn your way into salvation, and they end up nullifying or putting aside what Jesus had done. Pastor Josh said it really well a while ago, um, a few weeks ago, he actually said that you don't add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do not add to the gospel of Jesus Christ because what he did, how he lived, the way he died, that the fact that he came back to life, he said it is not add to that. You don't try and make it in any more fancier than that. If that's not enough, then you don't have a proper understanding and look at the gospel. And you need to look again and allow Holy Spirit to bring that to life to you. So when Paul comes up against Peter and rebukes him, he's calling him to return to the space where he's meant to stand. Peter stopped trying to tell people that they're still to earn their salvation, God's approval. They don't. Jesus did it all. And the only work that Jesus left for us to do is actually to believe. This is in John chapter 6. He says, "What they ask him, what is the work of God? What can we do? Jesus says, believe. Believe in an, is an action of the heart. It says that in Romans chapter 10. For if you believe in your heart, it's an action of the heart to trust, to put your faith in him. That's the work that he's called us to do. But if that starts in the heart, my actions are going to follow suit, and they're going to be a little bit different from what they were before. So he's calling him to come back to that. And he's saying to him, one of the things that he says really important is that he rebuked him because Peter stood condemned. The moment you step outside of the provided grace and way of Jesus Christ, you stand condemned in the wrath of. Of God that was not meant for you to be standing in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus says in John chapter 3. And a little bit after that he says. But, those, uh, but you are condemned if you have not believed. God didn't come to condemn the world. But, th- but through his son to save the world. However you are condemned if you do not place your faith in trust. Like God doesn't need to go you are condemned. It's like we choose that. A and so he says to Peter, you stand condemned because you've stepped outside of Jesus. And that was because Peter was, uh, he was doing again the very thing Jesus had spoken against the Pharisees about, appearance management, appearance management. And that's when hypocrisy sets in. And, and he does I want to make a point here to. To talk about the confrontation, um, they had relationship. Peter and Paul had a relationship. That's why he could confront him. You don't just walk up to anybody and start telling them off, calling them a sinner, calling them this and that. Build a relationship. First, he had a relationship. Um, there's a Proverbs... There is a proverb, I forget what it is. I didn't look it up. Um, but if you confront a, a wise person, they will learn, right? And so Peter does end up learning from this mistake. Um, when, you, when you choose to point something out about somebody, make sure you've got relationship with them. Second thing, make sure you are um, what you are pointing out is in truth. So you've got to know you got to be clear about what you stand for and what you're standing in. And before you do all of that, make sure that you watch your walk. Jesus says this very clearly. Why are you so offended by the speck in your brother's eye? You're not aware of the plank in your own eye. That sometimes a something that is, um, that is irritating you about someone and this, maybe it's your spouse, your children, your parents, but that's maybe pointing back at an issue and a challenge and a problem that is actually in your life that God is actually trying to say, let's deal with that. You're just so frustrating. The frustration lives inside of you. Deal with it, right? It's being pointed out in you. And so um, the other thing as well to note about this is that Peter, of whom Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. No one is immune from drifting away from integrity and into hypocrisy. No one is immune. This is Peter we're talking about. This is the guy who is left in charge, per se, and, the, and, and our brothers in the Catholic Church have pretty much gone like, you know, the Pope mantle. You know, this is where we derived that kind of ideology. This is Peter. No one is immune from the beginning of that. Beginning of this chapter, he talks about the fact that he's received the revelation. Not only that, though, he goes back to Jerusalem to make sure that everything he's preaching about, everything he's talking to people about, still aligns with the gospel. Still aligns with the gospel. There is a phrase among Christian brothers and sisters, which is, the gospel is not the ABC, it's the A to Z of your Christianity. That every life, it's the gospel. You really look at the gospel because through it, we see what Jesus meant by other things. Another point to make is um, when you're looking at rebuking or correcting people, your freedom in a certain area of your life doesn't actually give you the green card to look down on people. Because sometimes it can be a point of arrogance when they're working their way through holiness. And just because you've got advice to give, or you've overcome something, it's not a license to go and tell every person to apply the exact same method that you've applied to your life. And we we sometimes make whole, you know, like there are principles. Principles in the Bible don't change, but the methods are different. Why? Because every life is different. And how Jesus is going to approach it through your life is going to be different to how He's going to approach it through my life. It's the same. The truth stays the same. But because your life is different, I cannot assume that your upbringing is the same as mine. And so how Jesus works it out through you in your household is going to be different. However, it's going to be true and it's going to be integral to his truth and to what he says. So, another thing you have to say. You can't change people. (laughs) When it comes to the gospel, like Paul, we need to have a strong conviction. There is no other name under heaven that is given by which to be saved apart from the name of Jesus Christ. No other name. No other name. No other name. So, in light of that, Let's jump down to, I think it's verse 19, where he starts to. This is essentially, I think, the heart of what Paul is trying to say through all of this. He goes, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. To transgress is to cross a line, which Peter has just done. You've crossed a line. It is if you are in front they they you tell them something in confidence, and then they they decide to go and say that thing to someone else. They've crossed a line in our relationship with Jesus. Like it's been said, in the the gospel is. Is, is, is complete, it's finished. There is no adding to it. When we try to add to it, here are five more steps you can do to become more, more, and more of the child of God that you were meant to become. When we start to add a line, because we've said, what Jesus did is not enough. What Jesus did is not enough. If I try to rebuild the old life, to approach life the old way, I'm, I'm putting to the side everything that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected to accomplish. He's saying we died to the requirements of the, We couldn't even live up to it because we lie. It's part of our nature to lie when we are without God. It's part of our nature to want to murder, to, to fall to jealousy, to envy, and to anger. To follow our desires. It's not that the law was bad. It's that the law showed us up. It shows us up. We look at the law like a mirror and it says to us, you're never going to measure up. And this is why Jesus why I try to rebuild that life. The moment we step outside of the finished work of Christ, we place ourselves in the line of the wrath of God, of the judgment of God, which was actually not meant for us. It was meant for Satan and his demons. Hell was not created for humanity. Jesus says so. It was not created for us. It's for Satan and his demons. So let's not step outside of God's provided way. Salvation is free. It cost Him everything. It's free to us. And we receive it. That's how faith works. I have been crucified with Christ, he says. I'm not going to try and build what was gone. I've been crucified. The, that's the old me. The, the me that would have given into jealousy and anger. And notice that these are not behavior things. These are not behavior things. These are heart things. These are attitude things. These are parts of you that nobody else can see. It's me that is continually corrupted. You know that, do you know that, and Pastor Josh says this quite often you are being discipled to the world. We are being discipled. You, the flesh following you. Is being corrupted, actively corrupted by evil desires in the world around you, in your heart and in your body. Jesus says this clearly in Matthew chapter 12 that all of all of what corrupts us comes from within us. Outside of him. All of what corrupts us comes from within us. And so this old me that would have been God has been crucified with Christ. That's the me that would have tried to, to do five more things to earn God's love. It's been crucified. That's, that's the me that would have tried behavior management in order to look good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm actually doing whatever I can to serve myself, to find my way in the world, to get what I want in the world. I have been crucified. That old put to the cross. It's no longer I that lives. If I've been crucified, it means that it's no longer I that lives. And I'm just breaking this verse down because it's so important. In early Christianity, and even today, you will see around you that the change that happens when Jesus grabs a hold of you and you get the revelation of him inside of your heart, the change that happens is just His identity and changed your name that's the old me it's no longer me who you knew as greedy it's no longer me who you knew me as selfish that that old me is dead that old me who could not even please god didn't want to please god my mind was about me my life was about me i've been crucified it's no longer me who lives and the shift that happens is just as drastic as an identity change change in fact Paul used to be called Saul and usually they would change their names to reflect the kind of thing that God had done in them. So the I who no longer lives is sometimes the the angry, the greedy, the passive, the adulterous, the impatient, the lust, the lying, the treacherous, the hateful, the dishonoring person who used to live for themselves. That there is an ongoing movement away from who I used to be and into who Christ is that has happened, an ongoing movement. That there, there, according to Romans chapter 8, that those who've been, uh, all things work for good for those who love his purposes, for those whom he called, he... Um trying to find it. He predestined to be conformed, to be formed in in into the image of his son, to be conformed. That there is a movement, there is a Holy Spirit movement that is calling you, that is enabling you, the grace of God is enabling you to kill the old you and and, and Holy Spirit is giving you grace so that the new might live in very a little bit earlier in that same chapter he's saying you used to be called to, you used to be pulled away by the desires of your flesh that you would just want to do what your flesh wanted because um in our reductionist and in our it's about me world and naturalistic thinking if you don't have anything outside of yourself to try and And relate to, all you've got left is your senses and your feelings to action. And when you want to do something, you go, how do I feel about it? But no, he's saying that old person has been crucified. So when that's been crucified, you get empty enough so the Holy Spirit can give life to your mortal body. So that's what he says in Romans chapter 8. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body. So that what you do after your nature has been changed in Christ Jesus reflects Him. No longer I that live. But Christ lives in me. Lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. That the God who created every single part of the known and unknown universe decided to contain Himself within us. That is amazing. Christ lives in me. The same power that conquered in me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he says it another way he says if anybody is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus didn't come to make good good people great, bad people good and broken people whole. He came to make dead people live. That's the change that the gospel happens. And then he starts to mold you to his... image, Using Jesus as a behavior management program. That's not what happens. You've missed the point if that's all it's about. That you just need to honor your mom some more. And you just need to be kind to old ladies some more and old men some more. That's not what it's about. That you just need to give to charity. That's not what it's about. It's are you alive in Christ Jesus? Because you can... like. Every behavior in Christianity can be copied, except for the fruit of the Spirit. And that's where God's at work, because you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot cannot manipulate and you cannot manufacture the love of God. Christ lives in me. Is that what can be said about you? Can your spouse attest to that? Can your mom and dad attest to that? I just see more of Jesus in you. You know how you used And you just held on to things and unforgiveness was your way. Jesus has freed you from that. And I can see that you, you have come away from that. And you are learning to trust. You are learning to forgive and to let go. Because Jesus forgave you. Again, that comes from an understanding of the gospel. So Christ lives in me. You are special. I'm sure you've been told. You are unique. You're so precious. You are. We all are, individually. And and no time, perhaps, in all of history than now, has that individualistic message been reverberated throughout history more so than any other time. You are all those things. And you also are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. You're not the answer to the world's problems. It's not you. It's Jesus. If Christ lives in you, what happens to the you are unique, you are special, is that he actually moves in and through how he's created specifically you for this time to be be expressing himself in the world. That maybe it's your gift of hospitality and other people are like, whoa, good at that. But you go, this is just how God expresses himself for me. And I can give and give and give and give and give. Not so I get back, oh, you're so good at that coffee making. You're so good at cooking food. You're so good at looking up. No, I can just give because even if you never compliment me, I have every compliment that I need. Before Jesus started his ministry what is said of him is the father speaks from heaven he says this is my son in whom I am well pleased Didn't say proud I'm well pleased I'm pleased my heart is full already and that's as we accept Jesus that is said about us so you can probably never do anything Jesus is and you're in Jesus And God is pleased with you. Although, you probably are not going to want to do nothing pleased with you. The life I now live, I live in the flesh. The life I now live in the flesh, sorry. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ who lives in me. How do you know that Christ lives in me? I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me. Oh, Jesus, because he loved me. Why do you follow? Why why do you put so much on the line for a guy that you cannot even see? People are questioning whether or not he lived, whether or not he died, whether or not he existed. Which is a bit silly, but we'll go with it. Why? You actually... Early Christians, and even today, you don't actually add much. Practically, it actually works out to be a life of suffering because you have to face your sinfulness and you have to resist against that, as it says resist the devil. You have to fight the good fight. You know, it's probably simpler and easier not to follow Jesus because you just go with what the world is going with, you'll have less trouble why follow because the god of the universe loved me now how did god who holds the universe in his hands would love me in psalm chapter 8 david says who is man that you're mindful of him who do you think you are what creates a sense of importance about you that the god of the universe would love us he saw the beginning before it was a beginning, he saw the end from the beginning. This God loved me. He lives. He is life. He loves me. He holds the universe with the power of his hand. This God loves me. He is greater than power. He is deeper than any depth he could ever find. This God loves me. He, holds us. he breathes out stars. He breathes out light. This God loves me. Who are you? the heavens declare the glory of the lord you look at you i i triggered some students of morning devotion and i was like look at the universe and i showed the picture of uh, a picture of um, of the universe that was taken and there was that speck- there was that dust bit where the milky way is meant to be found and then it was like the earth that was in there and i was like that's the earth that's a little bit of perspective we haven't even stepped outside to see the entire galaxy. That's just a little bit of perspective. Show me your problems. And they were in a bit of an uproar. But, but this guy who sustains life and the order of the universe made much of me and of you. I live by faith because this God who doesn't need me, it is uncomprehendable. It is actually uncomprehendable. Because of that, Paul says in verse 21, because of this God who loved me and, and, and the fact that I can anything to any of his requirements, that he loved me, that changes my life. In fact, he showed it by dying on a cross. That changes my life. So he says, so, so what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to nullify his grace. I'm not going to set aside His grace. I'm not going to ignore the one thing He's given in order for me to be... that He's called me to live in Christ Jesus by faith. I'm not going to set that aside. I'm not going to treat His grace as meaningless. I'm not going to do that. Because if I do that, I'm trying to rebuild the very thing that He's destroyed. I'm not going to nullify it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified coming and becoming sin, taking on the wrath of God instead of us dying our death and being raised to life to defiance me. It gives me a compass. When we nullify the grace, we forget that this very same grace is a source of our salvation and the very source that sustains us into salvation and into a walk of salvation to keep walking after Him. We cannot hope to save ourselves, and we cannot hope to sustain a life of living after Jesus by ourselves. It's grace. It's been said this morning, Second Peter chapter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. Grace is what we need. Don't nullify the grace of God. It's what you need. Don't set it aside and try and do things in your own strength. Grace is what you need. Grace is sufficient in your weakness. And every time you strip yourself of your own strength by crucifying your old self. by going, I'm not going to go the way that my body and my members want to go. Instead, I'm going to go the way of God. When you strip yourself of your old self it leaves you depleted from your own strength and your own wisdom and your own ways and you are ripe as an empty vessel to receive the grace of God. If you're full of yourself, for God. And so, this is a daily thing. To empty ourselves and be filled consistently with Holy Spirit. So that we may have grace and mercy, when we need it. Don't set aside the grace of God. Instead, ask for His grace every single day. In the grace of God, he, he says it, Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, which I would encourage you to read Romans, all of Romans, um, <laughs> if you can handle it. It's not a one-sitting kind of reading. It's pretty dense. Um, but when you are walking by faith, clearly, how do you know if you're walking by faith? Well, you obey. That's, that's what it is, is you obey. And you can only obey by the grace of God, and the grace of God comes lives in us. So we seek Him in prayer, and we follow Him in our actions through obedience. And again, it's not behavior management. It's that that's what I want to do because I'm compelled to move that way. If I don't obey Jesus, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And so for some people, it means that they would lose their lives. It's spoken of of early Christians that they would go up to the cross, jail cells, full of joy. They didn't already have much, but following Jesus meant that they were had even less. It doesn't make sense if you look at it in worldly eyes, but the gospel is that while we were still sinners, while we deserved punishment for going away from God, he instead chose to come and take that punishment on him. He said, come in and enter into my love, into a life of grace, an abundant life. Imagine if this is our life, it's no longer I that lives, how that impacts your family, how that impacts your workplace, how that impacts the people around you that are lacking peace, that are looking for love, that are looking for somebody to be a little bit more patient with them because we're committed Us to shine through us. Imagine how that impacts our brothers and our sisters who have been broken and hurt by a dying world, and we come in and we say, God is going to be faithful to you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. How many orphans are there around the world? Christians were the, one of the first ones that would pick up the rejects on the street, that would, the babies that had been thrown on the streets. That's how orphanages were started. that up. And maybe there is a mandate on the church to start to rise up again and to actually live as if Jesus himself is walking on earth. Because he is in you. And so can it be say of you, I'm just drawn to you. Because there's something about you that points me to something greater than myself, than this life.